If I, uh, if I were to ask you to take out a pen and paper and write down your definition of forgiveness, what would you write down? What does it mean to forgive someone? It's kind of an abstract concept. It can, can be difficult to define. It's one of those things that we kind of, most of us feel like we understand what it is. But if you sit down and try to define it, it's, you might find maybe I don't. In my experience, the more experience I get doing this job, the more convinced I become that the majority of people operate. Their, their operating definition of forgiveness is one of two things or maybe a combination of two things that are related to forgiveness, but they're not really forgiveness. I think most of us believe or behave as if forgiveness is either forgetting about something or somehow convincing ourselves that what this person did either is kind of excusable or really wasn't that wrong or they shouldn't be held accountable even though they did what they did. And I think we all do this, including me. Forgetting about something, there's, when I forgive, hopefully I can, but forgetting about something is oftentimes the best course of action. Somebody hurts me, I'm just not going to dwell on it. I'm just going to forget. But it's not forgiveness. The other one, we do this all the time, even though we may not know it's what we're, we're doing. When we try to convince ourselves that, that something someone did to hurt us you know, really wasn't wrong or they were justified. Here, here's, how, here's an example of how this might work. If you're married, let's say, let's say your spouse comes home They've had a tough day at work, and they're really upset because of something a coworker did that's hurt them. And to be helpful, maybe you start doing something like this. You start saying, oh, honey, like you don't know what, how bad of a day they've been having. I've heard, I've heard their marriage is really bad, and their kids are in trouble, and so... They've got so much going on in their life that you shouldn't take that personally. And what you're doing is trying to get your spouse, you're trying to be helpful, trying to get your spouse to understand, to to get to a point where they can think, you know, I shouldn't be so hard on that person. Somehow they're, they're justified or they're excused in how they've treated me. And listen, that can be helpful. It can, it can help us forgive if I understand where someone's pain comes from that, that maybe makes it more likely that they behave in the way they behave. That can be helpful in order for me to be able to forgive. But that's not forgiveness. Let's say I, let's say I back into you in the parking lot out here. Another thing you might do is say, well, he just wasn't paying attention, and I know Pastor Matt didn't mean it, so maybe I can 
forgive him. Again, that's a justification of why I did what I did, but it's not forgiveness. So what is, what's forgiveness? It's what we want to talk about this morning, and it's what Jesus wanted to talk about here at the end of Matthew chapter 18. Um, when a very special or very special word was used that kind of comes out of the blue. To get you caught up where we're at, this chapter began when the disciples asked Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And all of Matthew chapter 18 is Jesus saying, hey, if you want to be good at this, here's some things you have to do. And today, Jesus tells us, if you want to be good at following Jesus, you have to be a forgiver. Because forgiveness is something that is great in the eyes of God. Last week, what Jesus just got done talking about, and this is important for today's passage, he just told us how to go after the wandering sheep, the lost sheep, the Christian who has strayed, who has wandered, who has fallen into sin, who has hurt me or himself or someone else. How do I go after that person because they're valuable and they're worth it and I care about them? He said, well, you go and talk to them in private. And if they don't listen to you, you take somebody with you. And if they, don't, if, if they don't listen, then you get your church involved. And that's how you go after the lost sheep. And that's what Jesus just finished saying. And now we're going to read our passage for today. Matthew 18, most of it is a parable of the unforgiving servant, is what it's usually called. Uh, this is the New American Standard Bible. And it goes like this. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves or his servants. When he had begun to settle them, one servant who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. Verse 26. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself. So he was on his face before the king saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that first slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And the first slave seized the second one and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. And so the second slave fell to the ground and began to plead with the first one, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But the first slave was unwilling, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And then summoning that first slave, the Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? in the same way that I had mercy on you. 
And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And the parable's over. And then Jesus says this in verse 35. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother or sister from your heart. That is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it begins, or the reason that it, that it happens, that Jesus tells this story, I believe is because Peter sort of misunderstands or misspeaks, as Peter often did. Remember, Jesus just said, here's how we restore relationships. When somebody's hurt you, when somebody's hurting themselves, when somebody's hurting others, when they're wandering from the Lord, here's how you go convince that wandering sheep to come back to the flock. You go with a heart that is, that's bent on, on, on restoration. But Jesus granted, this was last week, and he did before, in the week before, that all sheep won't be found. Some sheep refuse to come back to the flock. Not everyone will repent. And Jesus told us there will be times when despite our best efforts, we will not be able to fully restore relationships. That's just a heartbreaking reality. So Peter comes to Jesus, the beginning of our passage today, and he says, so Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother who sins against me? Here's what I think Peter thinks he's saying. I think Peter, he's definitely talking about what just came before, that restoration process. And he wants to know, Jesus, how many times do I have to go after my brother who continually sins against me in the same way? How often do I have to do what you just described? But he uses the word forgive. And you can look back through chapter 18 and you'll notice that word is not there. In fact, Jesus hasn't talked about us forgiving other people for a long, long time. You have to go clear back into chapter 6 to find Jesus talking about people forgiving people. This word comes out of nowhere. And I think Jesus stops Peter. And he changed, because Peter has changed the subject. Peter says, how often do I have to forgive? You notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, well, 70 times 7, or 77 times. You know what that means? Who's counting? You have to forgive every single time. Now, is Jesus talking out of both sides of his mouth here? Because if we take last week's passage and this week's passage and put them side by side, last week, Jesus granted, if you go through a four-step process with the right heart, you will come to a point where there's going to be a break in this relationship. You're going to, he said, treat someone like an unbeliever and a tax collector, like a Gentile and a tax collector. And I'll, I explained that last week. Go back and listen to last week's sermon if you want to know what that means. But there is a time where there's a break in a relationship. But here he says, but don't get me wrong, you got to forgive every single time. How can both of those things be true? Only if relational restoration and forgiveness aren't the same thing. 
whether I fully reconcile with someone who has hurt me has nothing to do with whether or not I had better forgive that person for what they've done. They're not the same thing. I have to have forgiveness before I can have reconciliation. That's for sure. You cannot reconcile with someone fully that you have not forgiven. And you cannot reconcile with someone fully that has not forgiven you. There will always be a wedge. There will always be a break that shouldn't be there. But the opposite of that is not true. I can forgive someone who is not repentant, who will not change, and there can be a break, a change in our relationship. And I can fully forgive someone even though our relationship may not be what it once was. Here's how I know that's true. I know because of my faith in what Jesus did for me on the cross, I am fully, 100% forgiven. But there have been times in my life where I am walking in unrepentance and my relationship with my God is not what it is supposed to be. I'm fully forgiven. But there's a wedge in our relationship because I'm not repentant. So as the setup, the reason this story happens, I think Peter has a misunderstanding. How often do I have to forgive? And Jesus says, stop everything. You guys need to hear something. You better forgive every single time. Now, is Jesus telling you to do something hard or something easy? Something hard. That's why the next words, verses 23, Jesus says, for this reason, your Bible might say therefore or something like that, but the Greek, it's more like, because of what I just said, I'm going to tell you a story because I've told you to do something really hard to forgive every single time. And I hope your relationship with that person is restored, but you may not be able to control that. But you can control whether you forgive. For this reason, I'm going to tell you a story about to show you what forgiveness looks like, what it's modeled after, and to encourage you to do it, even though it's hard. And that is this story. It's a story, it's a parable, which means it's a made-up story. Jesus made this up. It's a made-up story to prove a real point. It comes in three scenes. The first scene is the debt of the first servant. So there's this king who's got some, your Bible might call them slaves, might call them servants. Don't think of it as what we would think of in American history as slaves probably more like bureaucrats or governors or satraps, to use a really old school word. And the, the, this king is going through the ledgers and he discovers that I've got this, this slave, this servant, who owes me 10,000 talents. Now, that doesn't have the impact on us that it would have had on Jesus' disciples because we don't walk around with a working knowledge of ancient dollar figures, right? Monetary denominations. Jesus basically just said, I'm going to tell you a story about this Lord, this king, and one of his servants owed him a bazillion dollars. It's literally the biggest number Jesus could, could use words for. The, 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 in, the, in Koine Greek, 10,000 was the largest like number that had a word for it. Muriori. It's where we get the word myriads. 
Um, and a talent was the largest denomination of money. So it's literally the largest dollar figure he could put in words. Here's how much that is. A denarius was the standard day's, day's wage. It's what a Roman soldier got for his day's wage. A day laborer for a full day was supposed to get one denarius. A talent is 6,000 of those. So if my math is correct, 10,000 talents is 60 million days wages. Or, more math, it's over 164,000 years worth of labor. Like I said, this is like the national debt. Okay, if there's interest on this, forget about it. Forget about it anyway. That's why what, the, what this guy says when he falls down before the king is, is funny. The king says, you know what? I'm never going to get my 10,000 talents back, but I'm going to get some of it. I'm going to sell you. I'm going to sell your wife. I'm going to sell your kids. I'm going to sell everything you have. Because fair is fair. And this guy falls down on his face And look what he says, be patient with me and I will repay you everything. Now that you know what 10,000 talents is, how ridiculous is that? What's he going to do? Work 165,000 years and not spend any of the money to pay this off? And that's only if there's no interest. This is quite literally the debt which could never be repaid. And then something, even though this is a made-up story, something would have shocked the disciples uh, when Jesus says in verse 27 that this king, this Lord, had an attack of the compassion and he forgave him the debt. No ancient king who was owed a huge sum of money would just say, well, I release you. Quick question. What happened to the, to the 10,000 talents? Who, had to, who wound up paying that? Did it just evaporate? Did the king get paid back from someplace else? Who was out? Who lost? The king. He forgave. The only thing that changed here is the king says, you no longer have to pay on this. I, but he assumed the debt himself. Obviously, this is a picture of God's forgiveness of you and me, right? We owed God, we owed God a debt that we could never repay. You want to know how ridiculous every religion in the world is that is not biblical Christianity? We just read it. It is people saying, I can do, I can do what will pay off the debt I owe to God, to the gods, to the universe, to whatever. And I can do religious things. I can do good deeds. So at the end of my life, God will say, yep, you paid down your debt. And you can be in eternal life or reincarnated into something better or whatever. It's ridiculous. We owe a debt we could never repay. And we were forgiven At great cost. More on that in a minute. Scene two opens in verse 28. When that 
first, that forgiven servant, even though he was just released of a bazillion dollars, he goes straight out, finds one of his contemporaries, one of his equals, who owes him a hundred denarii. How much is that now? It's a hundred days' wages. That's not nothing. If somebody owed you three and a half months' salary, you'd want that back. That's, the, that's, an, that's an amount of money that would hurt. So he goes out. He finds the guy that owes him a hundred denarii, and what does he do? Does he go after him like we're supposed to pursue a lost sheep? No, he chokes him. He physically assaults the guy and screams, you will pay me back. Second slave uh, says almost exactly what the first slave said to the king. Be patient with me and I will repay hundred, you know, three and a half months salary. You could eventually pay that off. He's not listening. He does something which was incredibly common in the ancient world. Debtor's prison was a real thing. It was very common. He goes through the courts, has this guy thrown in prison until he can get paid back what he owed, what he is owed. So this guy would have gone into prison, and his family, would have, if they want him out of prison, they would have to pay the first slave a hundred denarii. That's scene two. Scene three, the other servants hear what has just happened and they go and tell the Lord, the king. Hey, uh, hey boss, you know that guy you forgave 10,000 talents? Well, here it tells him what he did and boy, it makes the Lord mad. And he calls that first slave in, he calls him wicked evil. He says, I forgave you all that debt because you asked me and because I had compassion. Should you not have shown mercy to your fellow slave the way I showed mercy to you? And in anger, the Lord turned that unforgiving slave over to the prison guards to torture him until He would repay what is owed. There's a special little Greek word in there for a person who worked in a prison who specialized in torture. I don't know how you get that job, but it was a real job. And that's who this guy was turned over to. To be tortured. End of story. And then after the story is over, Jesus says something really scary. Verse 35, it says, okay, boys, let me tell you why I told that story, just so you could hear this. Here's a promise I'm going to give you, Jesus says, that's exactly what my heavenly Father is going to do to each one of you if you don't forgive the people of sin against you. And that's the verse we got to wrestle with. That's, the story's easy to understand as long as you understand the dollar figures. This is the part we've got to wrestle with. This is a promise from Jesus that says, if I don't forgive, whatever happened to that first unforgiving slave is what's going to happen to me. And it's not good. Put your mind at ease a little bit. First, this is not about salvation. 
Did the, did the unforgiving slave go to hell forever and ever? No. Or he was tortured until he died. Okay? And I think there's something else we're supposed to learn. His sentence was, you're going to be tortured until you die or until you pay back a bazillion dollars, which is never going to happen. Or, I think, until you decide maybe forgiveness is a better way to deal with debts. Here's what the Lord does in this story. He calls that slave in, and basically, if he was as snarky and sarcastic as I am sometimes, he he called him in and said, Oh, I operated under forgiveness, but now I see you think justice is a much better idea. So since you think justice is a better idea than forgiveness, I am only going to treat you the way you think is fair and right. And so now you are going to be tortured either until I get my 10,000 talents or until you change your mind. Jesus says that's going to happen to us. What does he mean? If it doesn't mean I will go to hell forever if I don't forgive everyone who's ever sinned against me. We don't go to heaven based on anything we do. We go to heaven based on the grace of God that comes to all those who believe in what Jesus did for their salvation. Period. Full stop. So what's the torture? Real forgiveness is modeled after what God did for us. And very clearly, we're told again here what we're told elsewhere in Scripture, we have got to forgive the way God forgave us. You ever hear that before? Here's some examples. Ephesians 4. Forgive one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. Colossians 3.13. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. How many of you, audience participation time, how many of you grow up saying the Lord's Prayer every Sunday? My hand's up, right? You prayed this concept every Sunday. When you prayed to God, forgive us our sins. Some of you said debts. You were wrong. It's okay. Forgive us our sins as what? as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Here's what you prayed every Sunday. Forgive me, God, the same way I forgive everyone else. That's this story. It's also the last time Jesus talked about forgiveness was that. He just says the same thing again. God, what I'm asking is that you forgive me the way I forgive others. This is just an illustration of that concept. So what's it mean? What's that mean, and why should we be motivated to do it? Okay, there's only one kind of forgiveness. There's only one kind of forgiveness. We invented sin, God invented forgiveness, and it looks like Jesus on the cross. Okay, here's how I know. At the beginning of our time, I asked you, can you define forgiveness And I said most of us operate the idea that that forgiveness is either let's forget about this or find some reason why you're excused to do what you did and I won't feel so bad about you. And neither one of those is forgiveness. Here's how we know that. Because my sin against God 
racked up a debt I could never repay. It was 10,000 talents. It was a bazillion dollars worth of debt. I could never repay it. Now, God cannot just forget. He could not just forget about my sin. And he could not pretend it wasn't wrong. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he was not saying, Scott, let's just forget about this. We can just move past this. He was not saying, Seth, you didn't really mean it. You you were just having a bad day. What was going on? What was going on? There was a debt that had to be paid, and it's not financial. What's the debt for sin? What does the Bible say sin costs? Blood and death and separation from God. That is the bill you owe for your sin. And at the cross, Jesus was saying, someone has to pay that debt. And just like the Lord, either the Lord can forgive it, but he has to pay it himself, or he has to make the slave pay it himself. And on the cross, that was God saying, I will pay. I will pay. And now I'm releasing you from what you rightfully owed. That's forgiveness. So, The definition of forgiveness is something like this. Forgiveness is me releasing someone from the penalty they owe for their sin. Releasing, voluntarily giving up my right to hold you accountable, hold you responsible, to punish you for your sin. To make you pay. Now for that to happen, guess who must pay? So you hurt me. That pain is here. I've got it. I have to decide what to do. Am I going to hold on to this pain and use it at some point to throw this back at you, to get you back with him? Am I going to load my gun with this? Oh, because my heart says, remember what they did and remember how it made you feel and someday you're going to have that when you need it. Or am I going to say, you know what? I guess I lose. I guess, I guess I am going to lose this one. And I'm going to give up my right to shoot this back at that person. Now, the wonderful thing is I can then take that to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, I'm so glad you ultimately already paid for this sin. I don't have to make this person pay because you already paid. And you can help me get rid of that pain. I don't have to walk around with the pain. Forgiveness is what helps me get rid of the pain. Holding on to it makes me hold on to the pain. Now, does that seem unfair? If, if you hurt me, and I'm supposed to forgive you, that means I lose I give up my right to make you pay for what you did to me. Does that seem unfair? The answer is yes. You know why forgiveness seems unfair? Because forgiveness is patently unfair. You know what's fair? Justice. 
which is the exact opposite of forgiveness. So why on earth would we want to operate in an economy of forgiveness where people hurt me and I forgive them? That's a good question. Why should I want to be a forgiver? First, Jesus said it's great. And people who don't forgive, he calls pretty clearly wicked and evil. So there's, there's one motivation. Second motivation is because of what we have been forgiven. When I understand what went on at the cross, see, it's easy to think, well, yeah, God can forgive. Like the unforgiving slave, I'm sure he thought, well, sure, the king can forgive me this debt. He owns everything. He doesn't need the money. But when we're talking about me, that's a different story. I need the hundred denarius. When we understand what we've been forgiving, forgiven, that should change us. Here's how. When I understand the 10,000 talents I was released from, it makes me understand, like, I'm playing with house money for the rest of my life. It's like I just was granted 10,000 talents, a bazillion dollars in my account that I didn't deserve. And I can represent my Lord and my King in the way I treat others, forgive others. Now, does that mean, Pastor Matt, are you telling me, like, if this was a real financial situation, somebody had stolen three and a half months' salary from me, are you telling me I cannot go to that person and try to get my three and a half months' salary back? No, I'm not telling you that at all. Jesus just told us last week how to do that. Go to the person privately, tell them what they've done is wrong. If they don't listen, I can take somebody else. I can get my church involved. But today Jesus says, but regardless of what happens, you better forgive them. Which means I forgive you if I don't get my money. You giving me my money is not what makes me forgive you. In fact, I would tell you to get that person good and forgiven, you go for the money. Because if, if I don't forgive you, I want the punishment. I want you to hurt the way you hurt me. And remember, Jesus wants us to go after the person who has sinned because they are valuable. And we're after, I'm not after my money as much as I'm after your heart and your walk with the Lord. I'm trying to restore our relationship. And hey, I'm just going to be real honest with you. If you owed me three and a half months salary, I'm probably going to need that money for us to be cool. <laughs> I'm, I'll forgive you either way, but I'm probably not going to loan you any more money. Our relationship's not going to be the same, but I will forgive you. I will forgive you. You know why? Because that verse changed my life. That verse on the screen changed my life. Here's what I realized. Here's what I realized 15 or so years ago now. I was not being tortured by what other people did to me. 
I was being tortured by my refusal to forgive. I was walking around with a heart so full of bitterness and anger that as soon as somebody hurt me just a little bit, I had to be done with them. I couldn't go after them because my heart was so full of pain. It was so raw that I couldn't stand to be around anybody who might actually hurt me, you know, like people do. And I had to learn that I needed to forgive if I wanted a heart that was no longer tortured. I want you to consider something this morning. That maybe, maybe, maybe your isolation, your hurt, your pain, and your anger has much less to do with what other people have done to you than it has to do with your refusal to be obedient to God in forgiving those who have sinned against you the way God has forgiven you. On an individual basis, I'd love to help you work through how to do that. I understand it's hard. I understand it's not fair. Justice is fair, but justice ain't your job. It's above your pay grade. Forgiveness is your job. Over and over, Jesus tells us to do this not because he wants to be mean to us, because he wants what's best for us. I want to forgive because Jesus forgave me, because I want to represent him because I want to, the people who hurt me, I want to be able to care about them. I don't know why they do what they do, but there's pain in there. And, and, and they are a lost sheep that needs to know the Lord better. And if I have a heart that's so full of bitterness and anger and is so sensitive to hurt, I cannot go after lost sheep until I learn how to forgive. And because I'm tired of the torture. I am tired of the torture that God's allowing to be in my heart until I forgive the way he has forgiven me. We're going to do something a little bit differently this morning. We're not going to end with a closing song that we're all going to sing. We're going to end with the story of a song. A guy named Matthew West, maybe you've heard of him. He uh, sang a song called Forgiveness. It's I don't know, it's a little bit dated now. But here's the story of where that song came from, and you're going to see it in the video. There was a, uh, just, yeah, just hold on to that right there. There we go. There was, a, there was some kind of contest, I believe, where people could write in their story, and Matthew West would write a song, use that song and write a song about it. This story did not win that contest. But the reason was, but, but, but Matthew West never forgot the story. He kept the story in his guitar case. Um, and it's a, You're going to see the story, but it's a story of where the song Forgiveness comes from. It's only about eight minutes long. We'll still be out before noon, I promise. Uh, but go ahead. We'll watch this, and then we'll pray together at the end. It's quite a story, right? 
the forgiveness and the reconciliation weren't the same thing. Forgiveness made reconciliation possible. Can you imagine forgiving someone who killed your child? Sounds impossible, doesn't it? But it reminds me, if your sin put him there, you killed someone's son also. And if you believe he did that for you, you are absolutely 100% forgiven. And Jesus says, go and forgive others. in the way God has forgiven you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for forgiveness. It did not come because you just forgot about what we did. It did not come because you decided we really weren't culpable or really didn't have any intent. You saw what we did. You knew we were wrong. You knew the price that was required and you paid it through your son. And God, you have told us, you've told us to pray, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, we don't want to be tortured anymore by our unforgiveness. I pray you'd work in our hearts, help us know whom we have to forgive, that we might finally release someone from the punishment they really do deserve. because we've been forgiven, because we want to be free to love the unlovable, to reach the unreachable, and to forgive as we've been forgiven. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.